Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. What I do like about it is, is acknowledging that the, the board as a governance instrument is also your first line and that they need to be skilled appropriately. Um, you need to have the right group of them on there. You need to have the right skill set. Um, and it's a methodology that might enable that to come on without, without anyone losing any dignity around it. It's all about things change all the time, especially in this space. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Online and the GRC Professional Magazine. And once again, I have with me our Managing Director, Naomi Burley. Hi, Naomi. Hi. So today we have a, just a few topics today, and then it's also a bit of a podcast about podcasts. Um, so to start off, um, there's been some, I guess, some communications from APRA. Um, about, I guess, looking at the superannuation framework. And more specifically, I think there was a communication yesterday looking at the sort of member outcomes and how you measure that. And strategic planning, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah, that's right, Kwame. It seems to be a bit of a focus and obviously has been a hot topic topic probably well before the Royal Commission, but I think that anticipating poor outcomes, unfortunately, for superannuation members um, is something that everyone needs to be really, really mindful of, um, or the economy will grind to a halt for some people. Um, but, I, but I guess this one is, you know, adding in some additional overt requirements around um, best practice in terms of making sure you are aware of um, members' outcome desires, whether you're meeting those, how the performance is tracking. So from a quick look at it, it looks a little bit more around that documentation and rationale behind it and justifying why certain investment decisions are made on behalf of a member um, to ensure that, that their expectations are met, managed or communicated. Um, and so I guess for a lot of members, this will be something that they kind of regard that they're already doing and it might simply involve a tightening up of the documenting and the procedures around it. But it's one of those instances where while no regulator in the current market wants to be terribly prescriptive about how one needs to do things, sometimes it is what's asked for and what is mentioned that is measured and monitored and looked after. And if it's simply implied, that for some organisations is not enough to remind them to keep their eyes on the prize. Right, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, just thinking about this more documentation, though, this put me in the mind of something you see in the Thomson Reuters report, compliance report every single year, which is that concept, I guess, not so much a compliance burden conversation, but the amount of time that a compliance professional spends um, just doing sort of this administrative aspect of it. Mm. Um, so. But but again, this is one where if your program is embedded, this should be what the people who are managing the investment are doing. They're documenting their decisions, they're collecting data, yeah. they're able to justify their their decisions. And this is this is the basic tenet of risk management. If you're not collecting data about past performance, if you're not looking at outside case studies to compare performance and getting continual new perspectives to make sure you don't have um, you know biases that you're unaware of going on then you're not doing your risk management job either. So this is a central part of risk management. It's a central part of any kind of investment discipline. Mm -hmm. um, so it really shouldn't be up to the compliance professional, but they might need to be checking that it's done, I guess. Um, and that's where that might come around. This should be your first line should be doing this. Okay, excellent. Well, so yeah, so that letter to industry was released um, yesterday, um, along with the actual um, I think it's a consultation paper, really. Yes. Um, and then today, which we won't go into 
to too much was also release of an information paper um, looking at the review of the superannuation framework, which I think was initially set up in 2013. I think there's a bit of an acknowledgement that a lot has changed since then. A lot yeah. has changed. A lot has changed. So, yes, it, it's um, well overdue a bit of a review. Um, but people should be mindful that this consultation paper is out now, yeah. as you said. Um, but it does have an implementation planning date of January 2020. Yeah. And that's a big deal if your boards are meant to be strategically planning for member outcomes. Um, so it's worthwhile visiting the APRA website as soon as possible. Okay, well, if you've been reading newspapers, there are lots of interesting things popping out. Um, but one of the things that caught our eye was um, that question of accountability, and more specifically, the suggestion of the Australian Council of Superannuation Investors, um, you know, basically saying that, you know, maybe boards should be going to election every year. They should be voting for board members every year. Yeah, a, look, I, I thought it was interesting. I thought the rationale behind it is not necessarily one that you could criticise, although... Um, it could bring with it, as with all things, um, unanticipated risks. But it is all about managing off people who are not performing well on a board um, and doing it in a timely fashion if it was annual. It's also, if, if implemented with absolute best practice, could enable you to continually review the skills that you have on your board and make sure that you have the right people in the right place at the right time um, at that level. What I do like about it is, is acknowledging that the, the board as a governance instrument is also your first line mm. and that they need to be skilled appropriately. Um, you need to have the right group of them on there. You need to have the right skill set. Um, and it's a methodology that might enable that to come on without, without anyone losing any dignity around it. It's all about things change all the time, especially in this space. Um, there's obviously some concerns uh, around it being manipulated and used for poor outcomes. What I'd like to see if there were this kind of process, and I think any kind of board practice review should also keep in mind that there is an increasing need for boards to be skilled up in compliance and risk management themselves. Right. Um, I don't know that we have necessarily the right skill set on the board to ask questions and appreciate the value of compliance and risk management frameworks. Um, We've talked for many, many years at every conference about how to get a voice upward to the board. And I think part of that is about their their skill ability at the board to appreciate the message that you're trying to get across, to understand why you have to provide something more detailed than a one-page summary, um, understanding the subtleties around um, breaches and near misses and, and what all that data means. And I just think that there should be, if we're going to review how boards are compositioned, there should be something there about um, compliance, knowledge, skills and, and, um, and experience as well as risk management. Um, and, you know, we'd all like to see a little bit more diversity on boards. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that the, you know, this was highlighted certainly by one of our members. Um, there was a recent board election held and what it meant was that every woman was removed from the board and so it was an all-male board. Now it's not, again, lots of people talk about quotas and they'll talk about different skill sets, but I think especially in this superannuation space, there is definitely value in considering the diversity of um, experience uh, that is gendered in a financial space. So, you know, female clients have a different economic experience as a, as a member, as a customer, as someone in the financial space than men do. And that's not necessarily about a skill set, but that's about an experience about, again, recalibrating your outside view 
on a board. And so if used well, it could make sure that your skills and your composition of your board is up to date. But if used poorly to manipulate board composition um, in favour of a particular politic or to um, if you were only shuffling the deck with the same players all the time, it's it's not going to achieve the objectives that they're discussing. Yes, no, definitely. And we do we have had um, two contributors in particular, one looking at change management, one from the psychological aspect, who've stressed the importance of that kind of cognitive diversity mm, um, in those senior positions. Um, okay, well, moving on to talking about some future programming on the podcast. Um, so Carol Ferguson, who is our strategic stakeholder engagement consultant, um, will be joining us on the podcast to talk to take I guess a deeper look into the Corps Act. Um, you know, looking at some of those requirements that you have to follow that may not have necessarily have been picked up um, or did not hold those big headlines um, in terms of what came out of the Royal Commission and that kind of thing. So let's talk a bit more about that. Look, it, um, it, this was a suggestion um, of Carol's to to do a couple of podcasts around a few areas in the Corps Act that she's a bit passionate about. But what that sort of triggered for us is that a lot of her members are using the podcast. They're downloading them and participating with us in that way. Um, and one of the things we do as GRCI is provide principles-based education in compliance and risk management, which means you understand how to put together a framework. But we don't, in our courses, spend a lot of time getting into the nitty-gritty of the Corpse Act or anti-money laundering or any of the other, you know, um, ACCC or, or any of the other particular um, laws. And so this is, a, this is probably a worthwhile way for people to revisit topics where they may have lost focus, um, they may uh, be having those complex discussions in their organisations around interpretations of different sections um, and Carol's first kick off is on one of those around um, section 912A and um, RG104 and, and ASIC's explanation of what they're expecting in that space. And it is a step-by-step -step of what they think you should have in your compliance program. So it's a really good one to kick off with because there's a little bit of a Corpse Act 101. This is what we think a breach is. This is what we think you should do. And, and walks you through what you need to have in place to have an adequate compliance program from their point of view. So it should be a really interesting podcast. Yeah, definitely. And also looking at that question of how much time do you actually get to do compliance and how much time do you spend just remediating? That's right. Yeah. Look, and especially in, in light of... Um, in light of the Royal Commission and some of the things that have arisen, that was one of the things that prompted this conversation as well, was we'd like to send out a survey to members to get a bit of a feel for how your day-to-day -day, um, resources are being deployed at the moment. Uh, we're only in May, it feels like we should be in September, but we're only in May. Um, and, you know, a lot of members are, are speaking anecdotally about spending 70% of their resources on the remediation activities and 30% on proactive compliance or even just maintaining what they've got. And yet at the same time, there is a flood of consultation papers out there um, and a lot of regulatory activity, which you need to anticipate, plan for and, and put into your program. Um, so if you haven't got that uh, resource space in there and you're still working on remediation, that's going to be an issue going forward. It's, it's always going to play catch up. So we'd be really interested in seeing whether that anecdotal feedback actually um, plays out across the wider membership as well. 
Yeah, and we through this programming, we'll also try to look at some other bits of legislation. Um, you know, there'll be an upcoming podcast um, looking a little bit more deeply at the amendments to the Whistleblowing Act yes. um, around those definitions. And, and hopefully we'll have more coming out from the AML as well. And, Definitely. Um, Look, um, Austrack have been very proactive about, about putting out much more guidance. Um, they are you know, a resource to now <laughs> to do a little bit more in that space around being able to communicate out their observations. Um, that's certainly what we're looking forward to this Friday at the, um, at the AML and Financial Crimes Congress. But that's something they've actively been doing um, with their regulatory guides. So having someone who uh, is experienced in that space delivering a podcast on it and a little bit of a 15-minute summary for people um, will be invaluable, we think. So we'd like to add that to our to our scope as well. Well, excellent. And you've already introduced it, the AML <laughs> Financial Crimes Congress. Uh, so this Friday, um, I hope to see everybody there who's listening to this podcast. It's mandatory. <laughs> well, no, we can see who's listening. No, I'm kidding. We can't. Um, but yeah, so... Tell me a bit about what um, attendees can expect. Oh, look, this is a really diverse day. Um, I'm always very excited for this one every year, and it's one of those ones this year because everyone has been so flat out, even including our speakers. We've had a lot of um, last-minute speakers finally able to confirm that they come. Unfortunately, we've had others who have... um, been obliged to travel elsewhere at that time so we've had a bit of shifting at the last minute which happens um but super excited um austrack have very generous generously provided two speakers for friday um one is around insights from their compliance and enforcement activities and this is the whole lessons learned especially around that space that they think a lot of organizations are simply not learning they're not picking up that that in austrack's view some of this stuff applies to you as well Um, We all know it's really easy to sort of look at the headline and go, well, we're not that organisation, we don't live in their circumstances. But from Austrac's point of view, they see a lot of similarities in behaviour and and, um, risk assessments and uh, non-reporting going on that, that... um, everyone needs to be aware of. Um, we've we've managed to get Neil Jeans there, which is which is very very exciting. To talk a little bit about um, the FATF review coming up and his insights from um, sort of broadly consulting across the market and um, a bit of reflection on the the uh, latest compliance reporting round everyone should have done by now um, and some insights from people who participated in this. Uh, from from the time that Austrac asked for consultation on this, right through to submitting their reports and how they would reflect on that. We've had some interesting discussion arise in our AML discussion group yeah. about that. And Austrac are very eager to hear that feedback for um, next year's round as well. Some questions won't change now. They want the, the long-term data on those, but some of those can be enhanced um, moving forward so that it makes answering them um, a little bit easier and more valuable to um, to everyone. Um, we will be delving into modern slavery from a variety of perspectives because we obviously have federal law as well as state law in this space and, um, and a bit of the UK perspective coming in from that. Um, and then our technology and coordinating data give us a bit of an update on what's happening in that technology space. Obviously, it's moved on. It's been moving on very rapidly. The tools that um, everyone was sort of having showcased about two or three years ago have evolved incredibly. Mm-hmm. They've collected a lot of data and, and um those firms have learnt a lot through that experience to the benefit of those working in AML and financial crime. So it'll be great to get an update from them. And then um, 
and then our favourite, favourite topic, suspicious matter reporting. <laughs> And um, and some more insights from Ausjack around, you know, how to do them better, what they're being used for, how valuable they've been, um, to, to sort of keep that out there and to close off the day, finding out how much you might be paid if you might if you happen to be approached by a recruiter. So um, that's always a fun one to end yeah. on. And on that complaints reporting, I believe it's Andrew Ham is going to actually sort of present a little bit on that I think he is he's one of our panel members Um, we have Orb Chapman as well um, and Amina Antonu from um, Tabcorp Um, and uh, currently we have Carolyn Hanson but I understand that she's delegating to someone else as well so we'll have some other panel members there on the day but a great diversity and experience from people who have been doing it personally themselves for their organisation to others who are consulting for smaller organisations and helping them get across the line so it'll give a very broad perspective on um, how that worked for everyone and um, you know some of those nuances around high-risk customers and, and a few of those other um, spaces that we probably do need to get a bit more maturity and granularity around. Excellent. And I'll take this opportunity to do a bit of a call out, I guess. Um, as we mentioned earlier, we wanted to take a deeper look at some of the regulations which um, our members have to comply with. So if you know any of our subject matter experts who are listening who feel like they have a good grasp of the topic and want to come on the podcast um, to share you know, their experience and what they understand in terms of implementing certain things, then please send an email. I'll put the email at the bottom of this well, at the bottom of the podcast. Um, on the website. On the web, yeah, yeah. on the blog. That would be um, great yeah. because I'm sure everyone is very, very sick <laughs> of hearing from me. <laughs> um, yep, and that's all. Anything else you would like to share? No, look, it, it's fabulous. And yes, I think it's time for members to reconnect. You all have a wealth of experience and knowledge out there. You're all passionate about particular areas that you see people getting wrong all the time. Please come and share that knowledge. We have new people coming into the compliance profession all the time and they are just sponges for this kind of stuff. Um, You don't know what you don't know, so come and share what you know you know. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Naomi. Thank you for listening to the GRC Professional Podcast. This podcast was produced by the GRC Institute and the original music was written by Rob Neary.